The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. We have looked at, over the last few weeks, uh, the goal has really been in this, you know, course, to, which this is helpful, a helpful discussion, the goal has been not really just to gain traction or a hold on alternative, false presentations of the gospel. That, that's not necessarily what we're trying to do. What we're really trying to do is secure in our mind sound doctrine. What is true doctrine? That's why conversations like this don't really bother me at all, because they're helpful in helping us understand Trinitarian doctrine. What does it mean that we serve a triune God? I think that probably in the church is one of the most confusing things, and one of the things that people struggle with the absolute most is, I can't explain the Trinity. You know, I, I, not even in the way Christians have historically explained the Trinity. I can't do it. And so it becomes difficult as we wrestle with Christian doctrine, how do I talk to these you know, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, uh, various other cults, and, and explain to them the nature of the Trinity when I don't understand it myself. So part of it is to really grab hold of um, sound Christian doctrine. And the other part, though, is also to say, uh, here is what you're presented with in the world. Here is the offering. And look first how similar they are to each other, and how similar they are historically to all the things that have been offered as an alternative to Christ in the past. Okay, so we've talked about Jehovah's Witness. We've talked about Mormonism. We've talked about Scientology. And we've talked about some that are, you know, various pagan beliefs that you may or may not encounter on a regular basis. But I think this one here, though on the surface, may seem like something kind of foreign to you as you engage with the topic. I think you'll encounter this probably more than any other thing that we've talked about. More than a Jehovah's Witness standing on your door, Mormon. Uh, certainly more than Scientology. More than UFOlogy coming next week. More than <laughs> Wicca coming the week after that. Or Satanism. More than any of those things this is probably the number one thing you will engage on a daily basis. I think this permeates all media. I think it permeates every, uh, the, certainly the campus, the university. It permeates every person that would call themselves religious or spiritual, but not Christian. And some that would call themselves Christian. I think, are firmly entrenched in Eastern mysticism and the New Age. What's that? Uh, right. Probably not. Uh, no. Islam, I would... Uh, you're full of questions today, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I think in America, when you're talking with people born and raised in America, which is the vast majority of people you'll deal with, I think the vast majority of those will be firmly entrenched in Eastern mysticism and New Age. Yeah. So when you're dealing with someone from overseas or someone in the Muslim faith, it, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, but really not all that different. Oh boy. All right. What? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Say that one more time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even, even when dealing with uh, alternative religions, like major world religions and things like that, there's still a lot of this that will apply. But I think the vast majority of people you will encounter, especially if you're European or American, the vast majority of people you encounter, I think, are firmly entrenched in this. Um, 
All right, so let's, let's talk about this, this, the hard part about uh, Eastern mysticism in the New Age is defining it because it is notoriously open-minded, quote-unquote, to various forms of thought. So there's going to be some things in here that you're like, well, how can those two things both be true? And the answer is yes. Um, okay, so the essence of New Age philosophy is the unity of the world's religions as diverse paths with the same goal. So in this case, uh, what Doug brings up is, you know, Islam, or something like that, or Christianity, or Judaism. What someone in Eastern mysticism in the New Age would point out to you is how the similarities, the overlap between Christianity, Judaism, Islam, major world religions right? Uh, Eastern mysticism, might, you might think of it as the Venn diagram of religions, looking at the overlap. See how common everything is amongst all the religions, and their, their goal, really, the philosophy, is to point out the unity of the world's religions as really diverse paths that are trying to accomplish the same goal. So if you've ever watched an episode of Oprah, You've heard Eastern mysticism and the New Age articulated over and over again. And some of it will masquerade as Christianity. So in this case, like we talked about last week, the Scientologist is going to tell you, hey, you can be a Christian and be a Scientologist, which we found out last week is not true, really, when you dig down into what they believe. The New Age person, the one entrenched in Eastern mysticism, is going to say that, and they're going to really mean it. And you're going to say, well, no, I believe Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And they're like, me too. And then the Islamist is going to say, no, uh, there is no prophet but Muhammad. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And they're going to go, ditto, my brother. Right? <laughs> and you're going to go, wait a minute. It's like nailing jello to a wall at some point is trying to figure out what it is that they, they believe and, and isolate their beliefs, and, and you can't really do it. Um, they're under the auspices of, of tolerance. The New Age conception is that all religions are equally valid and memorialized in their theme of unity in diversity. So in New Age beliefs, there are many prophets but no single incarnate redeemer. So uh, Jesus or Muhammad or uh, any Moses for that matter, Abraham, uh, David, Isaiah, any of the prophets that you come to revere in the Old Testament, they are all pointing to the same kind of thing. All of them are effectively New Age prophets. The law of karma takes precedence over the atonement of Jesus Christ. So in other words, it's not your sins that need to be atoned for. It's you need to be better. You'll hear that as a command in many, in, in, on many a TV show, many a talk program. They'll say, look, you need to be better. You need to you just be better. It's not atonement that you need. It's not forgiveness of sin that you need. We're tolerant, after all. It is, we need to be better. And what's going to happen is, if you're not better, you are going to reap everything that you sow. You'll find this in uh, Mother Nature. is basically going to give us back exactly what we've sown, essentially, is kind of the, the thought process. It's karma all over again. Sins then are cultural and relative instead of offenses toward a holy God. So, in New Age, in Eastern mysticism then, uh, what you come to know as sins are things that you were brought up to think are sins. That is a, a product of cultural conditioning. It, there's not an objective standard that says this is sin and this is not. No, it's a subjective standard that's based on your environment. You grew up in this culture and therefore you see this as a sin 
You grew up in that culture, and therefore you see that as a sin. You can, this may sound like a, an aside for just a second, but you'll, you can probably see um, this in a lot of the arguments that are being made in, with, in regards to various um, things that we, we might uh, call sin. Um, the age at which a kid becomes an adult. So if, if we were going to make an argument, is a new age philosopher for pedophilia, as is now coming about right now in our culture, the argument would be, well, we grow up understanding 18 as an adult, but that is a case of current social conditioning. In the past, it wasn't the case, right? So all it, the, to us, I think everybody in this room would go, well, that's an egregious sin, right? We would see that as, oh my goodness, that's, that's an awful thought. But you can see how the argument can be made once, new, once sin becomes cultural and relative. Then all we need to do is appeal to a different culture and a different set of standards and anything becomes open. You tracking with me so far? Okay. Um, reincarnation is freedom for this world. And the resurrection of Christ was spiritual. So... Uh, the, the, basically, the goal of human existence, the uh, goal of freedom, the way that it's reached, it is not just through death, but through reincarnation on the other side, being reborn, uh, being enlightened, growing in enlightenment through rebirth. And so, therefore, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, must dispense with that, because Christianity argues that Christ's resurrection was a bodily resurrection. And, and you'll, you'll notice, I hope, whenever I talk about the resurrection from the pulpit or when I teach on it, normally I make a point to emphasize the bodily nature of the resurrection. And I'll, I'll even belabor the point sometimes to say, he was dead. He was dead, dead. He was really dead. Poke him. He didn't move. He was dead. And then when he got up, he really got up. His body was out of the grave. There, in other words, if you went into the tomb and you were to look there, you would not find bones. You would not find a body. He corporally, he was bodily raised and walked out of the grave. And the reason that I do that is because there's so much in our culture that when we talk about the resurrection of Christ and we're talking with a person who is very much bought into the new age, they will agree to the resurrection of Christ with you. And you'll say, I think Jesus was raised from the dead three days later. And they'll say, Amen, my brother. And you'll go on because you think, well, they agree. There's nothing to disagree about. But when you ask the question, what do you mean by resurrection? Then the answer becomes squishy. Well, he was resurrected in the minds and hearts of his disciples. He was resurrected in the way that the disciples carried on the message of Christ after that. And what you come to realize is they don't believe in a resurrection at all. Not a real resurrection. Not a resurrection any more than you are raised when your family leaves your funeral and goes to dinner and starts talking about the memories that they had of you while you were alive. Is that a resurrection? Is that the kind of resurrection you want? That's not the kind of resurrection I want. I want bodily resurrection. That's what we're saying Jesus had. And the New Age person will agree on spiritual terms, but not on physical terms, because the goal is reincarnation, not bodily resurrection. Hell is not a place of eternal punishment. Now, why would that be the case? Well, because sin has become relative and cultural, right? So then an objective place of punishment is eradicated completely, because you can't objectively punish what is subjective and relative. You tracking with me? Right? You can't stand before God and be judged and be sent to hell for sin if sin is relative. That would seem to say that it's, there's an objective standard. So, uh, hell is not a place of eternal punishment, but it is only a state of mind or negative thought, like you might feel in Texas during the summer. The you're in hell, right? It's a state of mind, not a reality. 
So then, universalism is preached, which saves everyone in the end through the doctrine of reincarnation. Everyone is going to experience this. Everyone's going to go through it. The world is constantly going through a state of rebirth, and so are you when you die. So everyone gets to experience this. Therefore, the process of achieving nirvana or reincarnation or whatever you want to call this um, is universal. Everyone experiences it. So the New Age movement is an all-pervasive, all-encircling philosophy birthed from Hinduism. That skipped on me again, didn't it? I watched it skip on me. That's technology. Sometimes it frustrates me. Um, So the New Age movement is an all-pervasive, all-encircling philosophy birthed from Hinduism. uh, This is the second time in as many weeks as Hinduism has come to the fore. Now, who had, in, in this class, who had uh, Hinduism as their number one reference on their cult and the occult bingo card? Right? Do you think Hinduism would come up this frequently? Probably not. I mean, the thought might be the major world religions are, and this is what you'll find in any book that you were to read on major world religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism would be the top three in the world. Surprise, surprise, I think Hinduism is actually probably, not, maybe not number one, but it's up there. Because of how deeply entrenched it is in so many other things. Not just in Scientology and official New Age, you know, Priests and prophetesses and things like that. People that would proclaim the new age and, and, and own it like a badge of honor. But also in just your next door neighbor. In people that might even be going to your church that think of Christianity in these kinds of terms. Or people that would bear the name of Christ but take on this sort of universal approach to salvation this nebulous definition of sin, this squishy definition of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, basically in all of cultural Christianity, the undercurrent underneath it is New Age philosophy, which is birthed out of Hinduism. So if if Hinduism was the product, then a lot of religions and a lot of philosophies are doing with what would be called a, like a white label of Hinduism. You know what that means? You know, like a coffee roaster might sell their beans and white label it, and then the company puts their sticker on the, on the beans, or you know, various other companies do this kind of thing. Hinduism is very much like that. There's so much that they sell off to major world religions and thoughts around the world that permeates our culture that you don't even realize are influenced by Hinduism. Yoga would be one of those things, right? <laughs> this is, let's, let, hang on, let me set a fire real quick, and then, well, hang on, hang on, let me, let me set the fire, and let's see what happens. Uh, <laughs> um, yoga is a, is a common form of participation amongst many people, church, in church, out of church, there's even, uh, I've seen churches that actually have yoga classes, um, probably some of you maybe in here have done yoga or maybe are doing yoga, things like that. Uh, so, um, so this has the opportunity to be highly inflammatory. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can do this. Uh, the positions of, of yoga are salutations to Hindu gods. And I don't think you realize that. Probably. Uh, it, is a, it is a routine of Hindu worship. Hindus use yoga as a form of worship. The premise of yoga, and I, I don't mean just necessarily just the stretching part of it. I mean the, the routine, the whole class of yoga is designed to empty the mind completely. That's the process. That is the 
the, the call of ohms at the end or at the beginning of a yoga class or throughout it are designed to invoke the presence of the Hindu gods. That's not told to you up front. Hey, let's do some Hindu god worship. How about that? Okay, first I want you to do this, and then I want you to do that. All of you would be like, wait, what did they just say? But that's what you're actually going through. My point in that is, obviously we'll, we'll have probably lots of conversations about this later on, but my, my point is to really say how much Hinduism has permeated the culture without you even realizing it, right? Timothy, maybe it wasn't much of the fire. Though. Say that one more time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll find, essentially, in, if anything you're, you're uh, listening to is like, or thinking through, or hearing, or whatever, sounds kind of new agey, it's, it's Hinduism repackaged. It is, it is a, uh, yeah, it's Hinduism. Okay. Um, you know, maybe you're not as mad as me as I thought you would be. Okay, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> new age groups comprise a united syncretistic religion. In other words, what that means is everything comes together under one philosophy. Their divine absolute principle is not a person. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The absolute principle is an impersonal entity that inhabits all creation, whether they call it consciousness, energy, vibrations, spirit, force, mind, Brahma, or the one. There's a whole host of other ones. You'll hear now, uh, pretty commonly, people, instead of asking for prayers, they'll ask for good vibes. Send your, send your positive energy out to me. Send your good vibes out to me. Send your whatever. Or I'm sending all my positive thoughts. People will say, uh, now, my, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Keep your thoughts. I'll take your prayers. <laughs> so long as they're to the one true living God. Um, but this is the point, is that the, it, it kind of it all is packaged under one, one entity, and it's impersonal. It's not God the Father. It is just simply energy. It's some sort of force, as it were. The philosophy does not reject deity within nature. It only refuses to accept any single faith like Christianity as the only way of salvation. In contrast to the true God who created man in his image, the New Age philosophy recreated God in man's image and likeness. So, um, essentially, tolerant of everything but intolerance. Have you heard this? The, you know, we look at this kind of battle that's being faced right now in culture of the uh, intolerant tolerant or tolerance of everything but intolerance um, as if it came out of nowhere. But it's birthed out of the new age. That's why I say that it, it, almost every person that's not a Christian and some that would claim to be Christians that you encounter are going to be influenced in one way or another by the New Age. And what's birthed out of that is we can have everything but this talk of sin, this talk of a, of a one true and living God, this talk of the exclusive way to salvation being Christ alone. We can have everything but that ex exclusivity talk. That's out of here altogether. Go ahead. You don't, so you, you don't think the rejection of Islam is the rejection of exclusive salvation? 
They hate Christians. Let me, let me back up for a second. Um, Hinduism is distinct from New Age. There's going to be a lot of things in Hinduism that are not picked up in New Age philosophy. But what I'm, what is, what I'm arguing is that New Age is birthed out of Hinduism. That it is, it is a repackaged form of Hinduism. And many of the Hindu principles are picked up and promoted in the New Age. But a, a New Age person is going to rule out the idea that you have to be a Hindu to be saved. But that the Hindus are pointing to things that are true about the universe itself. So uh, a, a, kid, a, a, a spiritual kid of Hinduism, if we put it that way. Right, right. Um, what unifies the New Age is the foundational belief that there are many equally valid beliefs and techniques that enlighten and liberate the individual. Not all groups use the same terminology, but they respect one another and focus upon the unity in diversity pattern of the New Age. You'll hear this articulated a lot, is unity in diversity uh, now in our day and age. Uh, uh, it essentially comes out of, these, out of these principles. So, relativistic thinking and tolerance prevents them from excessively criticizing or comparing alternative beliefs and techniques. The general idea of whatever works for you is, per, is a perfectly acceptable as a path to truth. Have you ever heard this before? Um, what's that? Try driving with whatever works for you. Well, if you some countries you go to, it's like you realize that that is how they drive is whatever works for you. Um, the The idea that uh, the idea of my truth, um, well, it works for me, is particularly pertinent uh, when it comes to the New Age. It's, it's birthed from the New Age. Um, this is one reason why uh, many will steer you away as a Christian doing apologetics and evangelism from using the phrase, I tried Jesus and it worked for me. Because in a New Age culture, as soon as you say, as soon as you give the, the elasticity of the phrase, it worked for me, then the message that's communicated to them is not repent of your sins and believe in Christ like I did, the message that comes to them is, well, you do that and it works for you. I do this and it works for me. Here's the problem with that. In the end of what works for you, if it is not Christ, in the end, it's hell. That's the end of it, right? That's what we're debating. That's what we're arguing what we believe is not relativistic. It's not, I tried it and this worked for me. Although, we could tell our testimony and that would be true. I tried it and it worked for me. So it's not invalid to tell your testimony to somebody, of course. But the reason that I want you to be a Christian is not that your experience will be exactly the same as mine, it's that when you die, you won't be eternally punished. I want you to have eternal life, not death. Right? That's where we run aground with the New Age. So, there's a relativistic 
uh, thinking and tolerance. So therefore, most New Age gurus, teachers, and instructors believe that their technique for liberation of the soul or awakening the sleeping God within is good. But they do not deny that other techniques or beliefs may produce similar results. So this word for me is kind of playing into the New Age philosophy of, well, I can try whatever I want and it'll work for me because that's what New Age teaches. Okay? So we're going to go just a little bit further in where we start talking about theology or probably theology is is a bad term. Theosophy might be a better term, a philosophical idea of God. This is where it can get a little heady and a little kind of spacey, just a little bit, all right, so just bear with me. Some of these things we may not have ever heard before. New Age theology does not adhere to the biblical God. It defines God in many ways, if indeed the group acknowledges God at all. Whether God or the oneness is spoken of, it is generally an impersonal force that permeates creation. Um, Maybe in your head you might have something like Star Wars. All right? The force permeates all of creation, right? Maybe, maybe you're not Star Wars fans. Should I, should I go with this metaphor? <laughs> we're, we're good. We're, we're good. <laughs> Everybody's saying, go, go with Star Wars. Uh, that, that idea of the force permeating all of consciousness, all of creation, is a similar idea in both Hinduism and the New Age. That it's in and through all. Not a personal God uh, of sorts, but a kind of a oneness that you must kind of tap into. Um, An impersonal force. Now, here's where it can get a little bit troubling. Monism is one aspect of many in the New Age. Monism is a foundational philosophy to which New Age subscriber, uh, to which New Agers subscribe. It is the philosophical idea that all reality, material and spiritual, is one with no real distinction. So, monism can be kind of difficult to wrap your head around. Most of what you will find in major religions, particularly Christianity, will be dualism. Okay, Dualism says there is a material component to the world, our bodies are material, things that are made, and then there is a spiritual component to the world, spiritual dimension, as it were, that is different than the material world, two different entities. That's dualism. Monism says, no, it's all one. Physical is spiritual, spiritual is physical, it's all one thing, monism. But also, the New Age worldview is often pantheistic, meaning that everything or all is God. So in other words, the created universe, or the, the universe as it, as it exists right now, everything, the darkest corners of space, the stars that you can see in the sky, the hand in front of you, the pew that you're sitting on, the space of air between the pew and the next pew is God. If you're going to define what God is, it's not a who, it is literally everything you can see or not see. Everything is God. Strange? How many of you have heard pantheism before, wrapped your mind around it a little bit, heard it talked about? Okay. So you can see where monism and pantheism kind of come together a little bit, is that uh, everything is one, whether spiritual or material, it's all one, and that one thing is God. So when anybody talks about God, that's what they're talking about. Um, And so when things go wrong in the world... It's due to an imbalance in the force. You've probably heard this in a Star Wars movie or something like that. Um, The terms yin and yang are sort of representative of this idea of a balance of harmony that's 
that you strive for in all things. Um, you probably see this in culture pop up the most in... Um, there was a really popular TV show, uh, do, not, not TV show, maybe it was a TV show, um, a lady that would go into the house and she would like kind of cleanse the house and get rid of the things that didn't inspire... What was the word? Yeah, like feng shui, kind of design, redesign the house. But she got rid of clutter. What was it? Do you remember this? Yeah, it didn't spark joy. Yeah, uh, the, the, so she would come in and she would kind of get rid of everything that didn't spark joy. And everything, and you, you would, when you would pick up something and you would go to throw it away, you had to, you had to salute that thing, think that thing for its presence. And I, what is that? Mourn over it, yes, and, like, and then you kind of repurpose it and send it away. And everything had a, had a spirit to it, had a nature to it. You had to, you had to do this to the objects. You had to thank them for their presence in the house and all the things that they did for you, but you don't spark joy anymore. That is essentially monism is coming into play there. Pantheism is coming to play there. All things, all matter, all matter or non-matter is God. Everything that can be seen, touched, tasted, felt, observed in any way, anything that exists at all, is God. So it must be treated as such. It's a product of the new age. Um, and we're striving for that balance in the world that is to be created by, I don't know, a clean living room. What is it? What is it? Right. Well, we've already seen that. That's part of the philosophy. No, no evil. Um, so pantheistic New Agers teach the divinity of man. He is divine because this God is the life within man and all living creatures. So if pantheism is true, if monism is true, then you are your own God. Ta-da! See how that worked out? Perfect. We all come full circle. It's great. Um... Now, some limit the nature of God to living things rather than like inanimate objects, uh, but I think that's probably less common, other things. Others include the inanimate as God, like you might see in that show. You thank it for its purpose. Um, New Age theology teaches that man is essentially good and that he is evolving into his divinity. So this is a natural... You, you can kind of see how these ideas are connected. And, and this is what, what should strike you more than anything else. I said this even back at the beginning. All alternatives to the gospel are an exercise in man trying to save himself. It's all man becoming his own God. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, you can't eat of the trees of the garden? No, no, no. We can eat of the trees of the garden, but the tree that is in the midst of the garden, we can't eat of it, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. Oh, you will not die. God knows what? You will be like him, knowing good and evil. This is the initial trick. You can be like God. You can be your own God. It's the same playbook. Literally, every single alternative is you are not the problem, you are the solution. The gospel is the only one that says you are the problem and you cannot be the solution. God must save you. But once you become the solution to your own problem, sin has to go out the window. Has to. Objective reality has to go out the window. Objective good and evil, an eternal destination for those who are sinners, has to go out the window. All of those things have to fall. Which, as we find when we look at Christianity, are the tent poles of Christianity. The message of the gospel. It all has to crumble one by one in order to prop up any alternative. 
Um, when New Agers speak of Jesus Christ, they speak of Him as an avatar, which is a human messenger that represents a transcendent consciousness. He is one of many Christs, along with Buddha, Muhammad, um, Zoroaster, or Confucius. Um, so, essentially, the universe has a, 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 the bal- a proper balance in the force, and there are some that have come through time to represent more fully that balance, and that will be called the Spirit of Christ, of the Christ, of which Jesus was one, Buddha was another, Muhammad, Zoroaster, Confucius. So the Christ is a cosmic consciousness that is also true divinity of all mankind. So Jesus was not special in being a Christ. Jesus, as a man, manifested the Christ and learned how to use his Christ consciousness. More on this in a second. Therefore, the New Age teaches that there are many paths to God. Come back to the same thing we started off with. So, the New Age movement teaches a form of universalism. Everyone will gain salvation in the end, regardless of his or her particular way, be it a guru, a teacher, a savior, or an avatar. Um, So, one of the cautions, big cautions, I think, because we want to come back to Christian doctrine. What is it? What is it that we believe? And I think probably many of you are already kind of maybe thinking along these lines. Um, There is a a particular danger in the way we understand Christ becoming incarnate. What you can hear in some explanations of Christ is here is Jesus born in a place and time, in a little stable in Bethlehem. And God, the Father, chose him to bear, to be the Savior of of humanity. That's not really true. That's not how we understand the, the incarnation. We understand Christ to be eternal. That there has never been a time when he was not. So, what we see in the Incarnation is the second person of the Trinity who is eternal. In the beginning beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, there never was a time when He was not there. The second person of the Trinity in the Incarnation took on flesh, came to earth, descended, condescended to us, and was born of the Virgin Mary. Not born as a regular human and was adopted into the family of God and chosen to bear the cross, so to speak, as Messiah. No, no. He came to the earth for this purpose. He came to us willingly. Um, So when it comes to the New Age, if you'll look at at page 3, Nicene Creed notwithstanding here, Uh, several things that I think are important to just remind yourself and to remember that we believe as Christians, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Look down a couple of lines. Through Him, All things were made. A couple more lines. He was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. He became man. For our sake, He was crucified. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day. Finally, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and His kingdom will have no end. There is an objective standard And He sets it. So, what we have to kind of keep in the forefront of our mind as we're, yes, wanting to differentiate what we believe 
from what the world holds to. Judgment is pivotal. The world is going to attempt to back you off of the doctrine of hell. How could a loving God send someone to hell for eternity? They want you to back off of that doctrine. And once that doctrine falls, or many others, it's like a house whose foundation is taken away. It's going to all crumble, which is what you see in the New Age. All of it has crumbled because the foundational pieces of Christianity have been taken away. Does that make sense? So, once now you put back in these foundational pieces, no, God will judge the living and the dead. That we all are sinners and we needed salvation, therefore Christ has come. We get back to the actual good news of the gospel. Listen, my universalist, new agey friend, I'm not here to tell you you have to go to hell because of your doctrine. I'm telling you you will if you stay in it. But right now you can repent and trust Christ and have salvation and real eternal life. All the people that we're talking to in the world are struggling over what is real and what is not. It's, It's all birthed from this same idea. They have no idea what is real and what is false. And you have the truth. The one thing that is true in the world is a gospel message that could not have possibly been created by man. Because as you look around the rest of the religions, you will find what it looks like when man creates a religion. He creates God in his image. But it's interesting that out of the Exodus come a group of people through the wilderness who worship one God instead of many, and whose God does not look like them, but they are created in His image, completely backwards than all of the religions that are around them at the time. Question? Go ahead. Um, Is it a question? (laughs) <laughs> kind of is a question. Okay. And, and it's the essence of the Nicene Creed. Why, here's the question. Why didn't it start with, I believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Then you would see that. You kind of have to back into the Trinity because it, it, it talks about one God and he's the Father. He's the God. reason, let me answer your question. Uh, the reason that it is broken out the way it was, I'm sure there are many reasons, of which I'm not Athanasius, so I don't know exactly. But I would say one big reason is because of all the things that they are attacking at the time. So, the, 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 look, the Nicene Creed, there, there are several creeds that are like it. The Apostles' Creed, very much like it, um, that is fine to use, and there's not really one reason why I use the Nicene Creed over, over another, except that uh, the Nicene Creed was written in response to perversions of Christian doctrine, of people that were taking Christian doctrine and making cults out of it and saying, this is what we believe about the gospel. And they're having to say, no, that's not what we believe about the gospel. So in each of these ideas, they're trying to compromise the humanity or the divinity of Christ. They're trying to compromise the, the person of God and say that he is, that Christians are arguing, if you believe in the Trinity, you're arguing that God is three. And it's important that we say, no, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty. One Lord, Jesus Christ. One Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is who has come to us to give us truth. Um, so it's important that we go through each step of the Trinity to no, I, I, emphasize I, I, I I didn't write it, but I get you. It's <laughs> great. Point taken. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Timothy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anybody uh, anybody that appears on Oprah's bestseller list is uh, is, is influenced by New Age. Who who are we we did Scott? 
Well, this is one criticism of pantheism is that it's, uh, it's masquerading, it's atheism masquerading as uh, pantheism. That eventually, if everything is God, nothing is God, right? Uh, and so that's one big criticism is that I think you could, it's fair to offer to a pantheist is to say, well, if everything is God, nothing is God, right? Because there is no definition of what God is if there is something that, he, that is not God, you know, like us. Yeah, Jasmine. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think too in 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 line with that is um the concept of justice. You feel it. So there is no hell. Okay, tell me about Hitler. What happens to Hitler? And they go, "Well, if there was a hell, who would be there? Hitler's going to be the first name on the list, right? Stalin, Mussolini, they're all going to make it, right? If there is a hell, they're in it. Why? Because you have an inborn sense of justice that you want to see accomplished. You know it's there, and it's very hard to deny. And what you'll have to admit then is that New Age philosophy fails you at that point because you feel like if Hitler made it out, and somehow escape this whole thing without actually receiving retribution for his crimes, there's something wrong, right? Something that is missing. And I'm here to tell you what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the truth of the gospel. I hope that the things that I've said... Um, would be clear and would be helpful for us as we engage the people around us to not only know what they're thinking, but know what the gospel is actually offering to them. And so we pray that you might put people in our path that would be um, uh, persuaded by New Age thinking, that we might be able to offer them truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.